Hey everybody, I'm excited as today we launch into the first habit involved in being like Jesus. If I want to be like Jesus, then I need to incorporate what this devotional book identifies as the five keystone habits of Jesus. The habits are committing to community, studying scripture, prioritizing prayer, seeking solitude, and choosing church. And today we're going to talk about the first habit and how Jesus committed to community how Jesus committed to a handful of friendships in the faith, how Jesus committed to being in a small group dedicated to growing to please God, and how Jesus started this habit from the very beginning of his work on earth. For instance, let me show you uh, the opening scene of Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountain to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, Jesus called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, remember that one, uh, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Then, watch this, Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place, and a large crowd came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. Uh, there are a few things to notice here. Uh, first, notice how even in these first few sentences of Jesus' life, we already see evidences of all five keystone habits. Uh, Jesus goes up a mountain hillside by himself. That's the seeking solitude habit. Jesus goes up a mountain by himself to talk to God. That's the prioritizing prayer habit. Then halfway down the hillside, Jesus chooses 12 friends. That's the committing to community habit. Uh, and then don't miss this. Jesus and his 12 friends together go down the hill to a level place where they minister to a large crowd with the word of God, the words of Jesus. And you could say that's the scripture habit. And then finally together, they minister gifts of healing and deliverance together. That's the church habit. So you have all five habits of being like Jesus emerging in just the first few sentences of Jesus' life and work. But also notice something else. Jesus goes up the hillside in solitude and prayer to love God. Then Jesus joins his community to love people. And then with his community, Jesus comes down to serve our world. And that's our purpose as a church. This is our purpose as individual Christ followers. This is being like Jesus. It is to love God, love people, serve our world. And Jesus begins with a commitment to loving God, and then he ends with a commitment to serving the world. But the middle part is what links it all together. It's Jesus' commitment to loving people. And this crucial middle part is Jesus' intentional commitment to the sometimes messy, always inconvenient, give and take of doing community with very imperfect people. Uh, and Jesus wants me to be a person who changes my world. But before I can change my world, I must first change into a person who commits to community. If I'm going to be a 
person who changes my world, I must first change into a person who is humble enough to reach out to a partner who wants to grow in Jesus like me, or humble enough to join a group that's dedicated to pleasing God uh, with, with life. And last week I talked about how being like Jesus requires training and how training requires a training partner or a training community because we can't do it alone. So if I'm going to change my world, I must first change into a person who follows the Jesus habit of consistently investing in meaningful friendships with other believers. And right here, I want to pause and acknowledge what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, why is he going on and on about community? Doesn't he know that there's a pandemic going on? Doesn't he know that everybody's in isolation these days? Doesn't he know that this is a terrible time to be preaching about community? Well, it's true that all our isolation these days makes this seem like the wrong time to talk about community. But I think it's actually just the opposite. I think that precisely because we're all separated from each other as a church body, as families, and as friends, we need to talk about our desperate need for community. We need to talk about our desperate need for the life-giving effect of community, and we need to talk about our desperate need to put in the effort of community. We just read about how Jesus chose these 12 friends to be in his community group, and you may wonder what happened to that group after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Well, we're told what happened to this group in the book of Acts, where we learn that these guys took their community experience with Jesus and shared it with those who joined them in following Jesus. And we read about their Christ-centered community in Acts chapter 2. As I read, pay special attention to two themes. One, notice the life-giving effect of community. And two, notice the life-giving effort of community. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what these followers of Jesus had is such an amazing description of what we all want. Uh, they were growing spiritually and experiencing life change. They were seeing God move in miraculous ways. They were praising God. They had glad hearts. They were filled with awe, and they did it all with close friends. Uh, actually, they were more than just friends. They were close, life-giving friends who loved each other beyond words to this extreme dedication that said, I'm here to help you be the best you can be. If I have anything you need, it's yours. If you need support anytime, any way, I'll give myself and everything I have to be there for you. Does anything in this description sound good to you? I mean, does having the effect of community, a glad heart, spiritual growth, close friends, and a life filled with awe sound like something you'd want? Of course, of course, this is what you want. In fact, if I asked you, hey, uh, 10 years from now, what five things do you want to see in the future you? 
My guess is that 10 years from now, for starters, uh, you'd like to be a person with a glad heart, spiritual growth, close friends, and a life filled with awe. Uh, this is the life-giving effect of community, and it's what we all want. And since we all want these effects of community, we're all engaged in community, right? No, we're not. And the reason goes back to Acts 2, which describes not only the effect of community, but also the effort of community. Throughout the words of Acts chapter 2, we hear the effort of community. They devoted themselves. They shared everything and met every day. See, these words make it clear that developing community is not easy. As uh, Acts chapter 2 says, they devoted themselves, which implies that community requires an intentional decision that says, I'm going to pursue this, even when it's hard and inconvenient, like it is now in the middle of a pandemic. And then Acts 2 says, they shared everything, which implies that community requires a level of sacrifice. It requires a willingness to be vulnerable and give of myself. It requires me to take the focus off myself and put the focus on others, even in the midst of a pandemic. And then Acts 2 says, they met every day, which implies that community takes an investment of time. I mean, there's no getting around it. Community requires that I reserve and prioritize some time for meaningful friendships and spiritual partnership. That's effort. Uh, to experience the life-giving effect of Christ-centered community, I must be ready to actually put in some effort. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if all, all you had to do was just uh, call the church office and say, uh, hi, um, I'm ready for community. Uh, could you just assign uh, three or four lifelong friends who will be uh, permanently dedicating themselves to me and my spiritual well-being uh, and uh, no Red Sox fans or, or Patriots? Not, not crazy about the Jet fans either. Uh, hey, thank you. Uh, I mean, that would be so easy, right? But it doesn't work that way. Forming community is not easy, which is something that Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, a few moments ago, I read the list of the guys who were in Jesus' small group. Uh, one of them was a guy named Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were an extreme political party committed to the overthrow of the Roman government. Uh, zealots hated the Romans. In fact, the only people they hated more uh, than the Romans were the people who collaborated with the Romans, like tax collectors. Uh, tax collectors were fellow Hebrews willing to collaborate with the Romans for their own financial gain. Zealots like Simon hated tax collectors. But then also in Jesus' list of disciples is a guy named Matthew. Guess what he was? That's right. Matthew was a tax collector. And you know that somewhere along the line, Jesus said, okay, uh, here are the uh, room assignments, uh, Simon the Zealot. You're rooming with uh, Matthew, the tax collector. See you at breakfast. And it's the same way with our BlackRock community groups. You know, if you're in a group, you'll find that there's always at least one person you find difficult to love. Of course, if you look around your community group and there's no difficult person, that means it's probably you. Uh, the point is that community requires effort. That is so worth it because of its life-giving effect in our lives. That's why we're going through this Being Like Jesus book. And speaking of the book, I want to go back to a question I posed that you'll be coming across in your reading this week. The question is, 10 years from now, what 
five things do you want to see in the future you? What five things do you want to see in the you of the future? Think about it. And when you do, if any of these five things you want to see in the future you have to do with being more like Jesus, if any of the five things you want to see involve loving God more or serving your world more, then in order to make your future you, you must have the crucial middle part of loving people in community. To make the future you a reality then, you must have that middle part now. You must commit to community now, which isn't easy because we all need to overcome the barriers to a community commitment. And in terms of barriers, first there are those surface barriers related to the shortness of my time, the fullness of my schedule, the weight of my family and work responsibilities. Uh, newsflash, people have been struggling with these issues since Adam and Eve. And uh, the bottom line is always uh, that we make time for what we believe is important. Nothing new there. What is new is how in the 21st century, we have machines that are constantly tempting us into massive time wasting and luring us into loneliness. I'm talking about our screens, which, thank the Lord, can be used for meaningful ways to connect us in this period of pandemic separation. But these same screens, we all know, can be used for social medias that give a toxic false sense of relationship and end up making us lonelier and lonelier. If uh, you're doing the book this week, uh, you'll be urged to take a hard look at how much of your life is spent staring at a device and how right there uh, you can find hours of, of screen time that could be better devoted to community time. All right. Uh, beyond time constraints, there's also other barriers to community um, that you might say go a little deeper. I'm talking about internal barriers like pride and self-focus. Uh, several months ago, we were in the middle of the virus lockdown where nobody was getting together face to face. And meanwhile, I was going through a deeply emotional time when my dad was desperately sick in the hospital. My worst work stress was mounting. And worst of all, my friends were not calling, not reaching out. And you know how you get into that self-pity cycle, which is really just pride? Well, my pride kept me muttering to myself about how my friends should be reaching out to me, how they should know I need them, how they should care enough to call. It was pride. And there was only one way to break that pride barrier. It was picking up the phone uh, to call a friend and say, you know, I don't say this very often, but I need you. I, I need a friend. I need you. And I know I'm speaking to people right now, and you live alone, and you're lonely, and you're disappointed and angry because you feel like your family and friends should know that you need them at this time. They should be reaching out to you, but they don't. First, I can't even imagine how difficult it must be to live alone in these days. And whatever pain and loneliness you're feeling today, it's not your fault in any way. And I hurt over your hurt. But still, along with everyone else, I'm going to encourage you to not let pride keep you silent. I, I encourage you to humbly express yourself to people in your life who will help you if you just let them know how much you need them. 
which leads to the other community barrier I mentioned, self-focus. Uh, self-focus makes it impossible for me to experience Christ-centered community because the secret of Christ-centered community is getting by giving. And the reason those Acts believers got glad hearts, spiritual growth, close friends, and a life filled with awe is because they gave, gave themselves with a devoted sacrificial sharing of their lives. And I'll never experience the joyful effects of community unless I go in looking to give myself away, unless I go in looking to help others grow, unless I go in to gladden someone else's heart by showing up. I read an interesting article this week by uh, New York Times author David Brooks. It was called The Golden Age of Bailing. He says that we don't have the deep relationships we crave because today we live in the golden age of bailing. Uh, technology makes it so easy for us to just stay self-focused and just bail on committed friendship. Instead of keeping a scheduled meeting with, a friends, uh, with friends, if something better comes up, I just send a text and bail. Instead of keeping a commitment to Zoom with my community group, if I'm a little tired, a little disinterested, I just send a text and bail. And there's an insidious self-focus in this kind of bailing because my decision completely ignores the fact that I'm depriving my group of the part I bring that supports them, helps them, brings gladness to them by my being others-focused enough to put aside my selfish feelings in order to just show up. So as we close this conversation on the first habit of being like Jesus, please think about this question. What barriers keep you from committing to life-giving relationships with other Christ followers? You can't break barriers that keep you from life-giving community until you know what they are. Uh, sometimes I like to imagine a scene in heaven that involves those first guys Jesus invited into community. Uh, we know that they entered into heaven at different times. Uh, tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in his middle age. John, on the other hand, died a prisoner uh, as an old man on the island of Patmos. But at some point, the original group was all reunited with Jesus in heaven. And I can see Peter welcoming John with a big hug. And I can see Simon the Zealot with his arm draped around the shoulder of his dearest friend, Matthew the tax collector. And then I can hear someone in the group gazing at Jesus and whispering loud enough for them all to hear, what if I had said no? And then all would pause and remember the day many years before when Jesus came down a mountain hillside and called them to join him in committed community. And then together, they would celebrate with tears of joy how accepting that invitation began the best part of their lives and how they are so, so thankful they didn't miss it. You are invited to that same community. Don't miss it.